I love being a dad. It's one of the coolest things ever because I get to, you, you like, and you guys that are dads, you know, you, you get to experience like this whole new adventure in life. You know, being a husband is, is a great responsibility to treat your wife with respect and honor her the way that you're supposed to according to Scripture. But to be a dad, be a father, and to do it correctly is a whole new adventure in and in, in of itself. Because, like, you guys were probably like me. Like, I always liked the idea of being a dad. But as a guy, you're not really prepared for that in life. Like, there's no way to prepare for it. Like, you can read all the books that you want to. It's just, it's just like anything else in life. Studying for something and actually doing it are two completely different things, you know? Uh, like, guys, when we grow up, our upbringing, like, our whole childhood is completely different. Like, for ladies, it's, it's a different thing because for most women, like, when you were girls, you play with baby dolls. Like, I got a, a three-year-old girl who plays with a baby doll right now, and she's got the baby, and she'll feed the baby. And she'll pretend like she's changing the diaper on the baby and all of this stuff. And, like, women get, like, an early start on that because it's just, like, in your DNA. You want to nurture. You want to take care of that. And most women grow up playing with dolls and stuff like that. Guys, not so much. Not so much. You know, and, it, yeah, you don't get to, like, socially, you don't really get to prepare for that. Because, like, when Kelly was pregnant, I didn't get to walk around with a pretend baby to take care of it, that would have been weird if I came into church like, hey, guys, here's my fake baby. I'm practicing for being a dad, you know. And I guess maybe some guys do that, but I didn't. Uh, but when you grow up, you're, when, you're, when you're a guy and you're growing up, you do different stuff. Like you play an army. You know, you're trying to jump your bike off of stuff that a kid should never jump his bike off of or jump over friends that are too dumb to know that they could die, you know, or something like that. Uh, out playing army, doing all those things, blowing stuff up. I don't know how much stuff I blew up when I was a kid. There was not a safe ant bed anywhere in my neighborhood, in my yard. I was on a mission from God to eradicate every one of them. M90s, black cats. I'd turn a bottle rocket upside down and light it. Just blow up ant beds. Destructor. Guys, we grow up different, don't we, men? Oh, that was pathetic. Y'all got to help me this morning. This is Father's Day, so the dudes, we got to show up, right? Man, we grow up different, don't we? That's what I'm talking about. We grow up different. We play different things. I remember being out in the woods, and we would play, we would have BB gun wars. Me and my friends, you guys ever do that? Yeah? Yeah, y'all are dumb too, (laughs) just like me. BB gun wars. But we had this rule. We had this rule because my mom and dad wouldn't let us go out and have BB gun wars because you could get hurt. You could shoot your eye out, you know. We don't want to shoot our eyes out. So, but we're like, no, 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 no. This is, it's gonna, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be okay. We're going to wear safety glasses, and we're only going to shoot from the waist down. That was the rule. Waist down. That was it. Now, you, we, well, we all in this room know nobody stuck to the waist down thing because if you got an open shot on your buddy, dude, you took it. You took it. I lit my friends up. So we had BB gun wars, and then one day we discovered when we were just, we were bored, so we thought, hey, let's shoot the safety glasses. They won't break. First shot, <laughs> safety glasses broke. And we're like, hmm, huh. I had to change our strategy just a little bit. We BB gun wars in the woods. You always got this friend, too, who doesn't follow the rules. Like we had the one pump rule with our BB guns. You can't pump it more than once. Because you could hurt somebody. Then you always got this guy who's like, I'm going to pump it, and I'm just not going to tell anybody. I had a buddy that did that. BB gun war in the woods. 
one pump rule, but he was so far away and had a shot on me, he thought, if I just pump it once, it won't make it to him. I found out later, five times he pumped this thing. Five times, lined up on me, he took the shot, bam, hit me right here on the forehead. You know, he saw he hit me. He, he shot me, hit me right here. First thing I did was, ah, like that. He thought he shot my eye out. He was gone. He took off running. I didn't see that dude for three days. Like, he was gone. Left, went home, and three days I didn't see him. And I thought, what kind of friend is that? And thought he shot my eye out and then went running the other direction. That's crazy. So, Charlie, I'm working on forgiving you for that. If you, if you listen to this message, one day. guys grow up different, though. We, go, we grow up different. We're not, like, trained for that. So when we become a father, while the desire might be there, like, there's this awkwardness sometimes because we're not, we're not always equipped to, to handle what's there. Like, when we had Hannah, my first child, Ke- I say we, Kelly had Hannah. I was there. I was like, come on, girl, you got this. Let's go, you know. That, that was my role. Push them out, shove them out, way out. Like, I was a cheerleader. That's what I did. And so Kelly was doing her thing, and I was doing the cheerleader thing, and then there's Hannah. And uh, so <laughs> maybe it didn't happen just like that. But when, when Hannah was born, I was so excited, and I was so scared to death at the same time. She was born, and I remember the nurses took her over to the little cleanup station, you know, and they're doing all that. And I was right there, man. I was pushing the nurses out of the way because my job was, Kelly had the baby. My job was count fingers and toes, right? Make sure we got all of that. Make sure the baby's, and she's breathing. Okay, we're good. We got, okay, yep, all right, good. We're good. We're good. My job's done. Peace. You know, that was it. So they're cleaning up Kelly, and then they 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 take the baby, and, and then they take it over, and they they give Hannah to Kelly, and I'm sitting there, and it's just me and Kelly and Hannah, and then it just hits me. Oh, my God. I'm responsible for this thing. I'm responsible for it. Wife and child, because we had this little moment, you know, we're boohooing and crying. I can't believe it. We're parents. I know. It's amazing. We're parents. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm a parent. This is crazy. And then, you know, you, you go to the little room after the delivery. They put you in the room, and the nurse is magical. Like, they, they set you up crazy in the beginning because when the baby cries and you're too tired to deal with a baby, you can just hit a button. And this beautiful thing called a nurse comes in and takes the crying baby and says, you go ahead and go to sleep. We'll just put the baby in the little nursery and take care of it. And you can sleep until the baby's hungry. And then they bring the baby to mama. Okay, yeah, you know, I think we're done. Take the baby away. It's amazing. It doesn't work that way at home, though. Like I was trying to hit an imaginary button that wasn't there. You know, you don't get to do that. Then they, they, when we were ready to leave the hospital, they took Hannah and they just gave her to us. And they're like, see y'all later. And I'm like, God, did, like if I rent a car, I've got to sign this much paperwork, give photo IDs, proof of insurance, and all this stuff. When we were leaving the hospital, hey, here you go. Just take her. Just go. I mean, we signed some stuff, and I'm like, isn't there something else we should be doing? And they're like, don't do this or your kid will die class or something like that. They're going to tell you. They sent us home, and I'm like, that's cool. I know I'm the father, 
I'm not ready for this, though. Like, I'm excited, but I'm scared to death. How many of you dads were like that? It's like, man, this is awesome, but I really hope that my wife knows what she's doing, because if not, holy dang, this kid is in trouble, and we may or may not be on the 5 o'clock news by Friday. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Um, so I was going through all of that stuff. This is crazy. <laughs> when you think about our role as fathers and as men of the household, we're supposed to be the ones that set the direction in the house. And we gave you this compass earlier, and I challenged you to set the direction for your house. And this compass is always, always going to let me know where true north is. Every time. doesn't matter where I am, in the parking lot, in the building, in the woods, at home, watching TV. It doesn't matter. This thing is always going to let me know where true north is anytime I want to use it. So setting direction is a great concept. But knowing direction is one thing. Being prepared for the terrain that you're going to encounter as you head that direction is something completely different. Are you following me? Because this thing can tell you what true north is. And you can know, man, I'm supposed to be the man of God. I'm supposed to lead my house. But being equipped and feeling like you're qualified to do that sometimes can be two different things. This thing can tell you where north is, but it's not going to tell you about the woods that you're going to have to walk through. It's not going to tell you about the rivers that you're going to have to cross. It's not going to tell you that once you go over the hill and cross the river, that there's going to be wildlife on the other side, and here comes a bear that you're going to have to deal with. It'll tell you where north is, but it's not going to tell you you're going to have to deal with a bear somewhere along the way. You understand? It'll tell you where north is, but it's not going to tell you what kind of weather you're going to encounter. Because sometimes on the journey, you're going to go through some storms. The sun's not always going to shine. And you're going to have a sense of a direction, but have to deal with the terrain. And sometimes, not just in men, sometimes just in life in general, knowing what you should do, but encountering what happens in life and the things that you go through, sometimes that can really catch you off guard. I thought I was just supposed to go north. Now I gotta cover the I gotta go this hill, I gotta deal with this bear, here comes a wolf, I gotta deal with all this stuff. So just knowing direction doesn't do it for us, guys. We gotta have something called a map. Are you with me? Gotta have something called a map. We gotta have sometimes it helps to have a guide along the way just to let you know, hey, here's some stuff coming up. You can watch out for that. When this bear comes, here's going here's what you're gonna do. Uh, if you got a friend that's slower than you, you're good. You're good. If you got a friend that's faster than you, you're in trouble. You might want to find a tree. Fall down and play dead. I think, like they tell you, like if a bear's fixing to attack you, you fall down on the ground and pretend like you're dead, and the bear will get bored and leave you alone. You know, I'm like, great, we're going to rely on my acting skills at this point. That's what's going to save my life. Yeah. Um, but guys, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, God didn't just leave you with a compass and say head north. He provided you with a map in his word. Amen? He provided you with a guide called the Holy Spirit. You got other men of God around you to help encourage you and point you in the right direction. You got a church that loves you and supports you. You're not in this thing by yourself. I want to tell you, you have got everything that you need to be successful in this journey and in this calling that God has put on your life as a father and as a man in your house, okay? 
You've got everything that you need. You can be the man of God. You can lead the way. You can be the spiritual high priest of your home. You can do it because God hadn't just given you a compass and said, go out there and, man, I hope for the best for you. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. That's what the word of God says. Can we praise God for that? That he loves us so much that he didn't just say, here, I hope I hope you can handle it. He gives us everything that we need. And guys, listen, we need everything. We need everything we can get right now because we live in an age where manhood is under attack. It's just under attack. Think about the TV shows that are out there right now. Now, There might be one or two that do this right, but think about how many shows or how many movies where a man is presented in a positive way. You can't really find many. He's always the goofy one. He's always the stupid one. He's always non-committal or he's pervert guy chasing after women all the time. He's, he's like a, a, a teenage boy in a grown man's body. But show me a man that operates in integrity. Show me a man that lives the thing out right. It's hard to find it out there. Society is attacking manhood. If you think, you know, we celebrate all this different stuff. But if I say, hey, I'm a heterosexual man that loves God and wants to lead my family in a relationship with God. Whoo, boy, they look at you kind of weird. Pick one. Heterosexual? Okay. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. And and you love God? Okay, well, that's good for you. You know, that's just, but you can be a man and serve God. You can be a man and lead your house. And we need more of that in this country today. Because as the men go, so the church goes. And as the church goes, so society goes. When the church is absent, society implodes. We need men to step up take a stand to lead our homes, to carry the banner of Jesus Christ and be an example of leadership and integrity in this church so we can impact the world for Jesus. Amen? That's what we need. The enemy likes to attack it. This is nothing new. He's always tried to attack men. He's always tried to work on men. Now, ladies, I know you get picked on too. This is Father's Day, though, so I'm going to be talking more directly to the men this morning, okay? Hey, and you know what? You might want that to happen. Because you want your man to be closer to God and challenged to become more of a man of God. Amen? So, ladies, can y'all back me up with some amen this morning, too? Can we do that? Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start there this morning. Genesis chapter 3. When God created the Garden of Eden in the beginning, he had all this stuff, animals, plants, and all of that. And he put man in the garden. And what did he do with man? He gave him dominion over the earth, dominion over the garden, which means God said, I'll be me up here, and you reflect me down here. I'll operate in authority up here, and I'll give you authority to operate in down here. You're in control. So Adam named the animals, plants, and all that. Adam had a fun job. Just think about it. You're a dog. You're a cat. That's a squirrel. That's a chipmunk. Things like that. Adam had that job. He was naming stuff. And then God gave Adam Eve. And Adam looked at Eve and said, Ow! Yeah, baby. This is awesome. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. But there was this third guy in the equation called Satan. Genesis 3, chapter or chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the, ser- the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Now, he's talking to Eve here. He said, he, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from any tree. You keeping up with me back there? I'm trying to read. Any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. Big mistake. But look what happens next. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He ate it. There's a couple of things that stand out to me as I read this. One, Adam was there with her. So there's a possibility that while this conversation was happening between the serpent and Eve, from what we can deduce from this, there's a high probability that Adam was close enough to see this whole thing play out. He had dominion, he had authority, but he didn't act on it. And he didn't operate in it. And because he didn't act on it and operate in it, the enemy was able to come in and have the conversation with Eve. The conversation never should have happened. It never should have happened. But what's interesting is this. Is that Adam had the authority. Adam positionally had dominion over the garden. Okay? But Satan didn't talk to Adam. Satan talked to Eve. Satan, this is no shot against women, wasn't interested in Eve, though. Eve didn't have the power. Eve didn't have the authority. Eve legally didn't have dominion over the earth. And that's what he was trying to get in this scenario. She didn't have any of that. Adam did. Satan used Eve as an inroad to get to Adam. He used Eve as a voice of temptation to get to Adam. He was there. He saw it happen. But Satan knew, I can't talk to him. But if I want to get his authority, I can take a side door, though. And I can use the woman that he's comfortable with. And I can get it. Adam ate the fruit. Lost the position. Lost the dominion. Lost the authority. Sin enters into the world, and we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. He used Eve to get to Adam. Now, guys, we got to be careful, because when we think about Satan tempting us, we think of crazy women like Jezebel, right? We think of Jezebel, that crazy, manipulative little witch woman. We think about her. Or we think about Delilah. Delilah, who's just deceiving and manipulating Samson the whole time. We don't think about Eve because we can spot Jezebel and we can spot Delilah. But Eve we're comfortable with. And Satan will find Eve. Now, Eve doesn't always look like a woman. Eve can be that one thing, that anything in your life that you're comfortable enough with to let your guard down around so that the enemy can come in and use that to get you to surrender your position of authority in the household 
through sin, through compromise, through lack of integrity, whatever it is, he can get to get you to, to give up your walk with God or surrender part of it so it's not as passionate as it used to be. Whatever he can use to get in there and to get an inroad into your family so he can wreak havoc, this is what he wants to do. Satan uses Eve. Like he'll use Jezebel if he can. He'll use Delilah if he can. But sometimes we're smart enough to see that. So he'll use Eve. That one little, it's not so bad, it's not that. It's just, he'll, he'll work and he'll use what we're comfortable with. He won't throw an adulterous affair right in your lap. It'll be a movie that you're okay with watching that's got just a little bit of nudity in it. That plants the seed. Just the Eve that you're comfortable with. Just that little bit. Give it time, it'll fester. You'll get comfortable with it. No problem at all with nudity. Now that leads to an open door to porn. Now porn's got its hooks in you. Porn can become a powerful addiction in a man's life. Now it's working, it's doing its thing, and he's got you from the naked movie, now you're watching porn. And before you know it, that's not going to be enough. And now you're looking at your wife saying, wow, she's not like these women. She doesn't do this stuff. This is crazy. You know what? That, we, she, you know, it, it, we, we, we're not together as much as I want us to be that way. You know what, if she can't take care of me, maybe it's time for me to go find somebody that can. Open door into the affair. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to have an affair. It starts with the little things. It starts with the little things. It starts with the little things. Adam's always trying to use Eve to get into our family. To get us to surrender our position of authority Open up the inroad for him to get in to wreak havoc. Guys, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, we got to be careful with what we allow in our lives. We got to be careful with how we conduct ourselves because there's more at stake than just us. There's our families, there's our wives, there's our children. There's a lot of stuff we got to consider because the enemy knows that while we operate in our position of authority and power and a right relationship with God and when we're operating as a high priest of our home and as a spiritual covering over our family like we should be, he can't wreak havoc like he wants to. But if he can get us to back off of that and surrender that role, then he's got the door wide open to do what he wants to do, to destroy your life. The Bible says he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to kill your children. He wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy your kids' future. He wants to jack it all up. And men, I'm telling you, you are the first line of defense for your family spiritually. Everything that we do as men and heads of our homes, everything that we do and that we don't do matters. It matters. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Now, guys, I want you to think about this, because all of this stuff called life is going to lead somewhere. It's going to lead somewhere. Each and every one of us are going to stand in front of God, and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. And everything that we did or we didn't do as the spiritual head of our home, everything that we did or didn't do with our marriage, with our children, everything that we did or didn't do, what we allowed or didn't allow in our homes, we're going to answer to God for. There's no, there's no escaping that. Everybody in here, no one's exempt from it. We're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but when I stand in front of him, I want a fist bump. I want a high five. I want a, you did it right. You did the best that you could, not why didn't you 
step into the role. Because we're going to have to account for it. I want to make sure I'm on the right side of that. Amen? I want to make sure that you're on the right side of that because everything we do matters. It matters. It either protects or it opens up the door. It either, it either builds the family or it creates potential for our families to become victims of the schemes of the enemy. One of the biggest aspects of spiritual warfare, one of the biggest things that the enemy does is he attacks the man because he wants you to give up your role so he can have his way with your family. Are y'all still with me? So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with a few things today, and I want to encourage you. Okay, I want to encourage you too. I want to encourage you to be the standard because you don't have to be a victim. The enemy doesn't get to have his way with your family if you rise up and be the man of God. Amen? You can be the protection. You can make it happen in a way that's going to please God. I want to challenge you with a few things this morning before we get out of here. I want to challenge you today to be a man that provides. Be a man that provides for your family. Whether you're a father yet or not, you might be here and you might be single thinking, man, that'd be nice one day. Listen, one day you're going to have to be a man that provides for your family. A work ethic is an invaluable tool in life. I'm so grateful that I had a dad that got up and went to work every day when he didn't want to, when he didn't feel like it sometimes. You know, I think I think we we honor vets and we honor police officers and we honor rescue workers and the, listen all those people are worthy teachers are worthy but i think one of the most unsung heroes in life is the man that gets up every day and is faithful to get up and serve his family by being a provider that gets up and shakes off the tiredness and shakes off the sleep and does what a man supposed to do and get out there to do his best to provide for his family amen praise god for men that are faithful in serving their families that way it's important it's important. God, listen, ladies, if, you, if you're with a guy that can't keep a job, if you're dating a guy and he can't keep a job, listen, take out the trash and move on. Take out the trash. You don't want a guy that doesn't have a good work ethic. You want a man that can hold a job and do it well. I'm telling you, you don't want to be broke all your life, 45, 50 years old. Well, it's time for me to switch jobs again. That's great. Are you working at Taco Bell or McDonald's this week? You know, it's just like if you can't be faithful you're not going to move up and make more money. Work ethic's important. But guys, a lot of times we get hung up on this because we understand our roles to be the provider. We, feel, we, we step into that real easy. You know, there's nothing wrong with a woman going to work either. A woman shouldn't be at home. If you want to work, go to work, you know. As long as the family's being taken care of by both of you, then there's nothing wrong with that. But being a provider means more than just bringing home a check. Provision goes beyond a paycheck. Your family needs more than stuff. Your family needs you. They need you. I don't know how many times I see the man that'll work 50, 60, 70 hours a week and give everything to the job and have nothing to give to the family. We got money in the bank account. The kids have got stuff to play with, but they don't have a dad. They don't have the mom because they work so much they have nothing left to invest in the children. What do you think is going to happen over time? Nothing good. Men, I want to challenge you today to invest in your family, to provide for your family by ways more than money. Your family needs you. Your kids need you. Listen, they need you to provide some fun. 
They need you to provide some encouragement. They need you to provide love, protection. They need you to provide a spiritual standard in the home. Your family's looking to you to be a provider in more ways than bringing home a check. Be a provider. Now, I know that's tough sometimes, especially when you come home tired and the kids want to play. Kids are always wanting to play. My kids are young. To my kids, I represent the dad slash jungle gym. Like, that's what they, when I get home, they love to climb on me and, and jump. And, Daddy, don't get on you, don't jump. And if I, if I sit down for too long and they're playing, I become the jungle gym. I just know I'm sitting in a chair and I'm relaxing, but I'm about to be a trampoline. I know it's going to happen, you know. Um, and and I, take the, I take it. I take it. I don't know how many times I've just come home exhausted from work. You know, back in, I used to, to do a lot of construction and painting and still do things here at the church before I was at, you know, God put me in the position to, to lead the church. And I just would, would go and work so long, so many days in a row. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for me to just work too much sometimes, you know, a couple, two or three weeks between ministry and work and all the stuff that happened. I just wouldn't get a day to rest, man. You come home, and I used to paint a lot and use my hands a lot. I'd come home, my hands were just so exhausted. I just couldn't do couldn't do like Kelly would come home and sometimes I'd have to get her to straighten out my hands because my, my thumb would just freeze or my fingers would freeze from just overuse you straighten them out and I'd have to soak them and do all this stuff and and I would come out and then my kids would look at me and be like let's play because she used to want to play blocks and Legos all the time I used to have any gas left in the tank guys but you got to dig deep and suck it up and find a way to invest in your kid's life because she doesn't understand daddy's killing himself working hard for me. Because for your kids, they, they equate love with time. So love for your kids isn't L-O-V-E. It's T-I-M-E. Every time. you got to invest the time in them. And I know it's tough, guys. We're out there. We're doing what we're doing. But you got to get it. you got to get this right. You've got to spend time with your children and be a provider for them. you got to be a provider for your wife you got to be polite. Listen, guys, you are the only legitimate source of romance in your wife's life. And some of you are going, yeah. Some of you are going, wow. Okay. Listen, we can't neglect that, man. Your wife's counting on you to be a provider. You can't, you can't, you can't go light on date nights and quality time with your wife. you got to be a provider all the way around. Because it matters. It matters. Your family doesn't need your stuff. Your family needs you. The second thing is this. I want to encourage you today to be a man that protects. To be a man that protects. Protect your family. Now, when I think protect, every man in here is like, yeah, boy, I got my guns. I got my guns. And if I asked for a show of pocket knives right now, you'd have pocket knives popping up in the church. You know, I got my gun, I got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can't survive. Like, I'm ready for this. Bring it on. Bring it on. I'll protect my family. God, help the knucklehead that comes into my house trying to steal my DVD player. It's over. It's over. Like, we're ready to protect. and def- Like, I feel a great swell of pity for any person that comes into this church trying to start trouble. Come in here, all right, we're going to rob this church. You're in trouble, Jack. You're about to have about 18 guns pointed at you in a heartbeat. You know, watch out. This is the wrong church to try to rob. Um, so we think defend physically. 
We think protect physically. Guys, it's our responsibility as the head of the home to protect our families spiritually too. Amen? Proverbs 14, 26, it says this. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. Your relationship with God becomes a refuge for your children, a blanket of protection that they operate in. As a head of your home, you're responsible for what's allowed in your home, men. You're responsible for what's allowed in your home. Now, we can break this down in a lot of different areas. Um, look at entertainment. You're responsible for the entertainment that you allow in your home. You're responsible for it. You get to set the standard for what the kids look at and what the kids listen to as a man of God in your home. You're accountable for that. You don't get to resign that and let mama handle all that. You're responsible for that as a man of God. You're responsible for the philosophies that you allow to get embedded in your kids' lives through the movies and the music that they put in front of them and that they listen to. All right, I know I'm meddling a little bit, but is that okay? I want to challenge you because you're going to have to give an, an you're going to have to give an answer for this. I'm going to have to give an answer for this stuff. Entertainment, it matters. Behavior and attitudes, guys. You can't let discipline slack in the house. If you go to every house that I lived in as a kid, we moved a few times. If you go to the bedroom that I stayed in, you're going to see a circle wore out in the carpet where my dad took his belt and went bop, 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 and let me know where the boundaries were in life. You know, I'm not saying you got to hit your kid with a belt, you know, but discipline them, set parameters, set boundaries. They need to know where is all this outrage against the police force right now. Hey, cut the junk. It might, maybe there's a little bit of racial stuff in there, but let's get right down to it. It's because people resent authority. It's because we've raised up a generation of people that don't understand boundaries, they don't understand parameters, and they don't understand discipline. They don't understand action. You get the result of that action, the consequence, good or bad, you know. And it, it's there. So we've got to make sure that we're keeping behaviors and attitudes in check in the house. Why? Because if you let a kid do what it wants to do all through life, you're going to have a kid that's probably going to end up dead or in jail because they don't understand the value of parameters or the consequence of their actions in life. And that's your job, gentlemen. That's your job. Now, you and your wife can work out who disciplines who and all of that stuff, but you're the final say in your home. You're the final say in your home on that, not your wife. You are. Now, you can, y'all can work that out how you want to because Kelly and I share that responsibility in our home. But when it's all said and done, I've got to answer to God for that. And not just doing it, but how it's done. Shouldn't abuse your kids. Friends, whoo, son. Daddy, you are responsible for friends. Y'all just had that kid, grow, like that, that friend growing up that was able to get you to do crazy stuff. Like you wouldn't do the stupid stuff like you did around them with anybody else. I had this friend named Smitty. Man, me, Smitty would get me to do all kinds of crazy stuff that I would never do. I'll tell you all a story on myself. <laughs> we, we were driving, we were driving uh, down I-20 going to go fishing. Uh, it was a little over in, in Alabama. And at the time, you know, they hadn't done all the road work. And so 20 was a two-lane road then instead of the three-lane three and all that stuff they got at the part we were going down at the time. So this guy was tailgating us. And I was driving, 
Smitty was with me. This guy's tailgating us, going down the interstate, and I'm like, you know what? He's just right up there. It's right up there. And I got I got to pray all the time, man, because I got a trigger for idiots in traffic. Idiots. People who need the love of God in traffic. That sounds better to say in church. I need. I got to pray extra for that. So this guy's riding up on me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to slow down a little bit and make a point. So I slowed down a little bit and made a point, and I wouldn't let him buy me. And he just sat there, and I'm like, ha-ha, I'm showing you. Well, we came up on this 18-wheeler on a two-lane interstate. And Smitty says, man, you ought to just stay here and block him so that he can't pass. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. So we sat there side by side with this tractor trailer for I don't know how long. And I was like, all right, we had enough. And Smitty was like, nah, man, let him sweat it out. And it wasn't it wasn't too long. We, I mean, maybe 10 minutes or so, which is eternity uh, when you're doing that. Friends make you do stupid stuff. We're going down the road, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and it looked like rush hour traffic behind us, man. We had shut down I-20. We had shut it down. Nobody was in front of us. There's like 10,000 cars behind us. And I didn't realize I was trying to make a point to the guy behind me. But what I had done was I had made an enemy with about 10,000 people behind me because there was some dumb punk kid up there who wouldn't let nobody pass on the interstate. So I said, all right, we had enough. There's a lot of cars back there. So I sped up and got in front of the 18-wheeler, and the guy just shot by me who was behind me, and he waved in a special way just to say hi. And so, John, he was gone, and here come these people coming by, and they all waved too. It was the friendliest bunch of people you ever saw, but they all had the same hand condition. They could only get one finger to work while they were waving. It was amazing. So they're all letting me know, and they were saying, they were all talking to me and all this stuff, and some of them were real animated. It was just a great, and they get by there, God, people are yelling and cussing, and there was this one guy in this truck I'll never forget, Pops Pavement. That's the name of it. Pops Pavement. If you ever hear this and you were, you're the guy that was behind me who works for Pops Pavement, I'm so sorry, man. I did not mean to jack up your day. But he had just had it. Apparently, he had had a bad week, and he was ready to take it out on somebody. And we, we had all that traffic backed up, and he came up, and that was it. Flashing lights, pulled up beside me. Pull over. Pull over. Uh-uh, Jack. I'm going to go down the road. Pull over now. beep, 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 beep. Pull over now. He's swerving over. Beep, 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 beep. Dude had, I don't know, I can't remember what it was. It was a crowbar or a wrench or something or something. And it's there. Pull over now. And I'm like, ain't no way that's happening now. You're threatening me. Pull over. I don't get beat to death. And forever, this guy was right there. If he wasn't behind me, he was beside me. He pulled up in front, slam on the brakes, forever going down the interstate. I almost died. We almost got killed because I listened to my stupid friend, Smitty. Got to be careful who you let your kids hang out with. Don't let them hang out with Smitty. Don't let them hang out with Smitty. And dating, guys, you got to be involved in that. I know it can be awkward sometimes because that's your daughter. You know, we really tend to be more loose with, with the boys, you know, but it's, it's, it's not going to be awkward. with. I feel sorry for my daughters. Oh, my goodness. If they pass the written test and the background checks and the DNA checks come back okay and they actually have access to begin to hang out with, with my daughter under parental supervision and the time comes, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. Um, but I tell you what, I feel sorry for the guy that breaks the heart of my daughter. 
you know, I feel sorry for the guy. Can I get an amen for the men? I feel sorry. I feel sorry for that joker. I feel, I tell you what I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for the guy that tries to abuse my daughter or take advantage of my daughter. Because I tell you what, I'm the pastor and I love God, but I'm a dad first and I'll jack somebody up if they try to mess with my kids. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Um, they'll find out. I'll introduce them to God one way or the other. If they behave, it'll be the right way. <laughs> You got to be protection. You got to be a protector over your family. Um, the third thing is this, guys. I want to challenge you to be a man that pursues. Be a man that pursues. Be a man that pursues the heart of God. Be a man that chases after our Savior with all of his heart. Be that spiritual example for your family because they're looking to you. They're looking to you. I want you to be a man that, that is so on fire for God that you inspire your family. Because as a spiritual head of your home, you set the spiritual temperature of your home. As a man, that's your responsibility. You set the spiritual temperature of your home. Now, a lot of guys love to hand that off and let the wife do it. Uh-uh, Jack, that's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. Your wife should never decide whether or not your family's going to church. That should be your decision as a man. You get them up, you get them to go. She shouldn't have to wake you up and try to get you to go. You set the standard. You set the spiritual temperature. Get your family into church. You set, let me ask you a question. Um, this is kind of a fill-in-the-blank thing. Let's, let's say it like this. If everyone in your home blank like you do, where would the people in your home spend eternity? If your wife and your children in your home prayed like you do, what would your eternities look like? If your wife and your children were in the word like you are, what would their eternities look like? Because I got news for you guys. There's a strong possibility that your level of commitment to God is going to be reflected by your children's level of commitment to God. They're going to look to you. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. They're, they're taking, your children are putting together their worldview while you're raising them. They're figuring out how this world works. And they're looking at what mom and dad says and does, and they're trying to decide if how this thing works. Mom and dad say they love God, and we go to church. But when we get home, mom and dad live like this. So my worldview becomes, I know now, church is something that we go do, but that's not who we really are. It affects. It trickles down. Guys, you have an awesome opportunity to set a wonderful example for your family. To set a spiritual temperature in your home that is so passionate and on fire that your kids see the integrity that you operate in. And they carry it with them for their entire life, that love and that passion. My dad loves God. 
my parents love God. Joshua put down this big challenge to the people of Israel. Joshua 24, verse 15. I, I just love this because he just looked at all of them and said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. This statement is so powerful. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. I don't care what happens in this world. I don't care what decisions anybody else makes. I'm telling you, as long as it's up to me, and I know I have to give an account to God for what I allow and what I don't, and how I, how I provide, how I protect, and how I pursue in my relationships with God and my family, if I'm the one that's answering, I want to be the guy that says, I don't care what y'all do, but I'm deciding for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I might not get it right all the time. I might not have all the answers. And there might be some times where I'm going through this thing and the terrain throws some stuff at me even though I'm trying to head the right direction. But I know I got his word and I know I got his spirit to guide me through every scenario. And while I might not get it right, I've got the right heart. I want to encourage you today. You might be here and you might have made some mistakes. And you might not be living this thing out. And I don't want you to leave here feeling beat up because of what you're not. I want you to leave here becoming encouraged because of what you can be in your walk with God. And who you can be in your marriage. And who you can be in the lives of your children. Because you can do it. You've been given everything that you need for God, for serving God, and for operating in this life. Everything you need, you've been equipped with as a man. I want to challenge you today. This is your special day, dads. This is your special day. I want to challenge you to be the man of God that God has called you to be. Amen? I want to put a challenge out. Because we're talking to men today. Outside these walls, there's a world that is starving to see what a real man of God looks like. There are families that are starving to have that male role model and legitimate operation. There are a lot of guys that like to leave. There's a lot of guys that like to abuse. There's a lot of full-grown boys that don't know how to be a man. And I think the church is in a perfect position to set the example for what real manhood looks like. Whether we operate with our families and whether we worship our God. I say, men, we set the standard. I say we step into the role. And I say we be who God has called us to be. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. Not just the fathers, but every man in this place. I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Josh, I'll take that challenge. I'll take that challenge, and I will become the man that God has called me to be. And I will operate in that role in my family. And if I am operating in that role, I'm going to take it to the next level because I want to please my God. If you're a man in this place, and you'll take that challenge to live this thing out and be a man of God, I want you to stand to your feet right now.